The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's sex out loud. And you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Coming up after 10.15, our kink panel will be in studio. We'll talk about kink porn. We'll talk about negotiating the terms of a kinky sexual encounter and maybe how to introduce kink into a vanilla relationship and any questions that you have about BDSM or kink, any kink or fetishes for that matter. Uh, But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion at 514-800. You can also connect with me by phone, 514-790-0800, or by email to lori at drlori.com. And I got a really interesting email that I want to share with you. But first, I want to go back to last night's discussion. We uh, Somebody had asked me, uh, what's the like normal number of partners in a lifetime? So it's not about normal, but what what are the surveys? What are the studies showing in terms of averages? Uh, and I had said it was about seven uh, partners. So I just went back and looked at some of the more recent research on this, the more recent surveys, just to back up uh, to make sure that it was still consistent because the text messages that I got were uh, a lot of disbelief in that. So I just want to share with you. So there was a, a big survey done in the U.S. and Europe, and they found that people in the U.S. had an average of around 7.2 sexual partners in their lifetime. In the U.K., it was 7. In the Netherlands, it was on average about 6.9 partners. Now, that's taken globally. They also, this study broke it down by state, and they found that on the high end, uh, Louisiana residents had the highest average number of partners at 15.7. And Utah residents were at the other end at 2.6 partners in their lifetime. And then there was a, an even later study that was published in the Journal of Sex Research of over 15,000 men and women looking at uh, the numbers. So they looked at uh, men and women between the ages of 16 and 74. And what they found was that men claimed a lifetime average of 14.14 partners, while women say they've slept with uh, 7.12 men. So, which is very interesting because the numbers should more or less match up. So uh, either women are under reporting or men are overstating their sexual activity. According to these researchers, they found that it's more likely uh, that men are uh, over-reporting for various reasons. I guess there's uh, different explanations for the disparity. It could be that um, sex workers might be underrepresented in this. So there's that. There's uh, maybe gender norms or expectations uh, that, that play a role in the number that one reports, even though it's completely anonymous. Anyways, I wanted to share that. Uh, and also um, a, a couple of texts that came in for that reason. Not everyone wants to have sex when they are a tween. I waited until I was 19. It took me a year before I wanted it again because it hurt so much. Then through my 20s, I lost count of how many partners. All I know is... A lot. Another texter writes, I would argue staying with one partner throughout adolescence 
is the exception as opposed to the general rule, considering that's a fickle hormonal period giving rise to much curiosity, experimentation, and hence instability instead. Another text wrote, a woman should never say more than three. Is that a rule? Women should never say more than three? That's very interesting. All right, I got a, a very interesting email from a couple. So, uh, good morning. My wife and I listen to your show from time to time. We have some advice to ask you. We are married 26 years this year, together 30. We have uh, two adult children. We have good careers, no issues. Intimacy is great, but we wanted to add a bit of spice. So we had the Playboy channel free for a while and watched some episodes of a show called Swing. Interesting stuff. Do people really do this? Real people. These were young, attractive people, so we figured it was all scripted, but fun to watch and talk about. We also went to the Salon de l'Amour in January to check out the toys and clothing and vacation and trips. While there, we kept seeing these signs for SDC.com, Seek, Discover, Create. Also stands for a swingers organization, basically. Uh, they are affiliated with Club Lorage. Uh, also quite interesting to see those real people, certainly not Playboy models. So we checked out SDC, saw what it was, and decided to subscribe to the site. We also attended a couple of meet and greets at Lorage. Uh, Lorage, if people don't know, is a swingers club, basically. Uh, we are now full members there. Remember, this is a couple that have been together for 26 years and are only now starting to talk about uh, uh, consensual non-monogamy, right? Uh, although we only interact with each other, we did put on a show for a pretty good crowd upstairs. The venue was totally respectful and so were the people. But until recently, we had not met another couple one-on-one, -on -one, first for a drink or dinner until last weekend. A couple like us, a lot in common in northern Vermont, reached out to us over SDC, and we went to meet them for dinner in Burlington last Saturday night. We really hit it off as friends. Certainly was not awkward. They are like us, brand new in this lifestyle. They are coming up to Montreal uh, next weekend, and we are supposed to meet downtown for dinner and then to their hotel suite for a nightcap. Again, no pressure. So my question is, how does all this interaction start off? From what we saw on Swing, usually the ladies start off together or at least initiate the action. We are not at that point of interacting with another couple, neither soft swap or full swap. We are okay with being with each other and them being together in the same room, perhaps the same bed. My wife said maybe a hand reaches out, etc. Anything is possible. But what is a good way to break the ice? We are not big drinkers and neither are they. Uh, any advice or opinion you can give would be appreciated. So that's a really good question. A, a couple exploring outside of their, uh, their norm and, uh, spicing it up a bit. So we can see there's a bit of a progression, right? There's, there's an interest in being more exhibitionistic. So being in, a, in an erotic environment, um, and, behaving sexually towards each other, but in this erotic environment and for the pleasure of others to see, I guess, so a little bit of exhibitionism. And now thinking about stretching those boundaries and getting involved possibly with another couple. So you're dealing with a couple, another couple who is also new to this. So the only way to, that I would know to break the ice is to talk about it first. Like you have to be able to have a very open dialogue with these people 
so that we don't get all messy with other things going on, like emotions or like you have to see how people are, are ready, what their state of readiness is, what are they looking for? Um, are they, do maybe they also just want to watch or be watched? So all of this has to be negotiated and talked about, or maybe they just want to be friends and be able to talk openly with another couple, just talk about sexuality or talk dirty or whatever it is. So you have to see what their boundaries are, but, and do this over dinner uh, rather than, or over drinks rather than waiting until an awkward moment of like, we're in, there's the bed. What do we do? Uh, so having the discussion of ahead of time, I think is, uh, is really important. And, and also talking with your partner, making sure you know what your partner's boundaries are, because maybe you'd be willing to do more than what your partner would. So checking in and making sure that, um, that he, that your partner wants the same things or where their, their hard line is for now. Like what, what are the things they would try? What are the things they definitely don't want to do? And what are, uh, the maybes? So this discussion should happen between you and your partner ahead of time, ahead of meeting this other couple so that you're all on the same, uh, all on the same page. Make sense. Uh, 514-800 to text in if you have questions for our kink panel as well. That's, uh, that's coming up. We're going to talk about, uh, kink porn. People ask, like, where do, you know, what, what do I look for? What's good, uh, pornography or more erotica than, than porn and also negotiating the terms of a kinky sexual encounter. Also very important to do. We strip away the stigmas every night with passion on CJAD 800. Tonight we talk about uh, kink. We do that. What are we, the first Wednesday of the month? Yes, we are May. Uh, we are talking about negotiating the terms of a kinky sexual encounter and also kink porn. Is there good kink porn out there? Is there bad stuff? Is there things people should avoid? Where do people go to see visually what what it's uh, what it's all about, or if it's something that might interest them. Joining us in studio is Pierre and Catherine of BDSMCircle.com. We have uh, Dane Stewart, an advocate for the human pup community. He's an artist and founder of Talking Dog Productions. We have Gary Major, who's a longtime kinkster into body modification and works at Mr. Bear, a fetish store in the village. Welcome back, gang. Hello. 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 So who wants to tackle the porn issue? <laughs> the porn issue. The porn. Did the we kink just, all of a sudden, porn did we just issue. become a, a right wing, uh, ad, right wing advocate? The porn issue. The we must por- defeat the yeah. porn issue. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not that right wing. <laughs> well, I mean, kink porn any uh, any anymore can be found pretty much anywhere. Like it, it's true. it's not uh, it's not a it's not a difficult search anymore. Like any porn, uh, everything's become very niche, and you can pretty much find any kink that you're looking for by just typing in a few keywords. But do you have to go to a, an actual porn, like a, a porn site, like a porn hub, for example, and then type in what you're looking for? Or can you use Google? You can use Google, like for the most part. Because I tried to put in like YouTube. BDSM, like good PD, BDSM <laughs> porn. 
and like I couldn't find anything. Like there was, it Did didn't, you it, it didn't read, it? <laughs> it didn't read the BDSM. It was like the, you know, like Google, my Google anyway didn't even know what your, that was. I your, thought your that's strange. Controls on, don't you? I must. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody put parental controls on my. On my okay. computer. I, I, sh- I shouldn't say this, but try BDSM video and probably it's going to work better. Under Okay, so then you would see that. Yeah, but what's the good stuff? Like, I, I'm asking that because oftentimes uh, the porn that's watched is really a horrible representation of what goes on. So if this is, well, I want to do this as a public service a little bit. It's certainly unrealistic. Yeah. Okay. I, I personally don't watch a lot, uh, hardly any porn at all because I'm, uh, you know, being really critical of it and it's like it's like oh yeah like that rope would even hold and okay, i'm so and, when you're and watching so that, it right. so that it's over for me right um amateur porn is probably more representative but you Which know is it's more it's popular okay. now yeah amateur and, porn popular, yeah. yeah and easily available and usually free <laughs> you know and so that's that's real bonuses for it but, you know, you just have to, when you're looking at this, if it's, if you're enjoying it, that's wonderful. But don't think that you can always translate that into real life because some of the things you will see if, if you're, you're not seeing the whole picture. So it'd be very dangerous. Right. Right. For some of the, the things. And this, I mean, it's true of all porn that oh, it's not reality, yeah. except I guess my worry is that with BDSM porn, you're seeing, actions that could be dangerous yeah. that mm-hmm. in regular porn is you don't have that same uh worry well for instance Catherine is talking about rope there's all kind of danger playing with rope or you know working with rope mm-hmm. and these uh porn that you can look at often they don't actually they don't show the problem you may have uh, or how to solve them if you try to get a, an education and king with the porn that is out there you're going to enter Run someone. Into trouble. Okay. But, that, but that, again, that's just the same as any porn. Like, I mean, you can't, you know, the the whole, you know, calling up for a pizza and getting the pizza delivery <laughs> guy to have sex with you doesn't really happen in real life. Believe me, Wait, I, I don't know. Maybe so not in your times. neighborhood, Gary. So many times. Uh, but you know that, like, you can't look at porn like it's going to be your education. And if you do look at it that way, then you really have a warped idea of how you look at the rest of the world as well, too, because then every person turns into a possible sexual encounter if you look at porn as your reality. Um, So, I mean, you can't put the onus on porn to be your educator. You have to actually go... If you look at porn and you see, hey, someone's doing rope in that, that looks really cool. Maybe I could do some more research. And then you turn to Google for other research you know, options. Right. And I think that's really important because we need to... People need to know where they can go because all I'm thinking of is if... If uh, I have this interest and I have no idea where to look, the first place to go is to look at porn. Like, mm-hmm. what are people mm-hmm. doing? So and you're not thinking of going to educational sites. No, well, you know, even sites like Pornhub do have, like, an educational component. Uh, section and mm-hmm. co- component. And you can get real information there. Just make sure you're on the educational part. Right. And also there That's are true. social media networking sites where the like porn videos are shared along with people's commentary. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of like Tumblr used to be more like oh, this. It's there was true. Uh, new regulations that were brought in uh, in late 2018 that sort of removed a lot of the nudity in the porn from Tumblr. But now Twitter, honestly. I was just a... going to say Twitter. I know that that regulation came in, but it, you can still mm-hmm. get um, uh, adult content on Twitter yeah. that yeah, ha- that kids Twitter's have access to. Tumblr, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
yeah and uh, twitter is like for really niche stuff <laughs> that's honestly really? where i go okay. and then you can also find the accounts of people who are uh, sort of producing or into the same kind of material that you are and often there are really interesting conversations happening about you know consent and negotiation and how it's represented in in the porn industry versus like in actual uh, bdsm scenes that you practice in real life so yeah, delve a little deeper is what you're saying. Also, my absolute favorite YouTube channel that I follow now, like religiously, is called What's the Safe Word? And oh. it's uh, put on by two, well, mainly one uh, one person now out of uh, San Francisco mm -hmm. and his daddy. Uh, and they're they're basically educational and funny. Uh, so they teach, a, they do a lot of rope work because that's their big kink. But they also, uh, they do a lot of like interviews with community members and activists and people that are into the other kinks to broaden the spectrum of what people will know and it's on youtube and it's completely available to pretty much anyone that is I, I think there's only like a couple of their videos that are you know blocked parent wise um, but the majority of them are completely open to anyone to watch and they're a great wow. resource because okay. they're not cool. they're not trying to like like browbeat with heavy words and and, and heavy education it's really really funny uh amp the the pup that does most of the work on that is very big into puns so the majority of what he says is is pun related which makes it a lot more fun right. um um, but they do some really great interviews, and they're probably my favorite uh, my favorite go-to for education. All right. Actually, this texter wrote in, read them and weep, and gave the uh, site to one called uh, charlestone.com uh, slash porn damages brain. I'm going to send you to, there's another one called uh, real, wait, what was it? Because my a colleague of mine, Justin Lee Miller, I did a recap that there's a site that goes through all the science and saying the there's these are often done by uh, these articles written by very anti-porn oh. and they cherry pick a lot of the stuff and whatever. And I uh, last week, I think I did a whole uh, summary of uh, the actual research involved in porn and what porn does mm -hmm. and in terms of relationships, in terms of love, in terms of sexuality, in terms of mental health, all of that stuff. And it's not it's not what it's saying it does. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you can easily, you know, go for that and focus just on that, but that's not what the large majority of the research shows. That's very true. Yeah. It's like it's like the Bible, you know. Cher people cherry pick what they think is the most important things out of the Bible, <laughs> but you know, if they actually read the entire Bible, they'd know that ninety percent of what they're doing in life is bad and is against <laughs> the Bible. So let's let's not focus on the man not lieth yeah. with man like he does with womaneth, and let's get on with the rest of our lives. <laughs> oh my! Uh, this question. My question for the panel is: What do you think of the new show Bonding? I, I I've not seen it. You've seen it? Yeah. It's okay. Amazing. Tell me. <laughs> It, it, again, us. it's very it's very dumbed down, but it's it's really quite funny. And it's basically uh, it's these two these two people that used to be friends in high school, and the uh, the woman decides to become a dominatrix later on in life, and uh, her friend is this little gay boy who's a comedian, and she hires him to be his her assistant slash bodyguard. Okay, and so it's like these weird scenarios that play out between <laughs> the two of them with their clients. It's hilarious is it yeah, okay it's so is it good. a netflix show yeah, yeah oh yay okay that's on the list now and it's amazing because yeah, it's like 15 minute episodes yeah. so oh that's you can, it yeah you can go through it real quick <laughs> oh there's something that's binge worthy then <laughs> and it also delves into some very strange like i don't know if realistic fetishes like there's a guy that's into wrestling as a penguin and will only wrestle other people dressed as penguins <laughs> we should we should ask our, our pop play expert here our i'm costume not play. into sure. wrestling as a penguin 
He's, he, he was pretty hot, too. So, so you would do that. You would wrestle as a penguin is what you're saying. I would, if anybody's listening out there, <laughs> you want to wrestle like penguins. Clearly, this is our kink panel. This is the only night you'll hear wrestling with penguin talk around here. Uh, we were talking about uh, a kink porn. This person writes, what about Fifty Shades of Grey? Let's hear the groan. Let's hear the groan. Yeah, anything with Fifty Shades of dot, dot, dot should just be completely ignored. Okay. Well, I, I, yeah, I know. I, you we, know what? I mentioned it's, it before, so it's... Uh... In in fairness, it is an introduction to some people <laughs> where they start to open up and begin their journey. I know That's generous. right. It's you're true. Generous. But it really is. However, if you're not a beginner, you're going to roll your eyes at the, with most okay. of it. But, but at the very least... But for some people, it awakens something, and it's 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 actually right. been a wonderful thing. It shouldn't be the Bible, <laughs> right? But, you know, I, it's, it's just, we'll say, I think it's kind of dumb. It's not really well done, but it did but do it something. Did, it, did it did do, do some, something. It did a couple of things. It got the conversation going about BDSM. True. It, it, it took out some of the, like, it, it made people talk about it so we could talk about the myths and the realities. So it made, it sensitized people. Cause I know a lot of people were like, oh, I didn't know people did that. Oh, you do that? Oh, that's real? Uh, and, you know? oh, that's interesting. And then some people were like, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't mind trying a little bit of that or a little bit of that. Because the reality was a lot of people who read it got turned on by it. Yeah. And not just maybe not so much the, the, the pain, like the, the BDSM part, but certainly the whole eroticism of of the yes. exchange of power. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there was something to that. So let's not... There was some impact, and if if that's where you want to start in terms of erotica, you can start there and then explore other things. Just that's not where you'll get your education. Uh, coming up, we'll talk about uh, negotiating the terms of a kinky sexual encounter. News is next. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. This is Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. So you're thinking you might want to get a little kinky and you want to talk to your partner about it. How do you negotiate the terms? Like this is something that needs to be talked about. You don't just uh, spring it on your partner or just, you know, decide to tie them up and, and and that's it without having a discussion. So let's uh, let's find out how to do that. Pierre and Catherine of bdsmcircle.com are here. Dane Stewart, an advocate for the human pup community and Gary Major who's a longtime kingster and works at Mr. Bear, a fetish store in the village. So if you have any questions too, you can send them along here at 514-800. So when we talk about negotiation because this is a very important element of any uh, kink, well, not just kink, but especially BDSM, right? Of bondage uh, or a, a submission, domination, exchange, well, power negotiation exchange. is how you get consent. Okay, very well said. You know, you you need to negotiate and, and talk about what you're going to do and have a safe word and, and have a communication kind of set up before you're in the moment. Not in the heat of the moment. Not in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. Although you still need to obtain consent along the way, right? Because yes, I mean people can change. withdraw consent at any time, certainly. But you know, it's it's not when you're all hot and heavy that you say, "I want to tie you up now," right? Right? You you talk about it before so that you know 
you've already got the ground rules down. Yeah, one of the, one of my rules is you, you should never be impaired when you're uh, negotiating mm-hmm. uh, a scene, and that impairment can take many different forms. Uh, for example, you probably shouldn't negotiate a BDSM scene while you're both drunk. Um, but another <laughs> well form said. of impairment is being horny. You know, like, I oh, make vastly different decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I wrestle penguins. Actually, well, that I, makes sense. I often, I would suggest to people if you're horny, I mean, go take a cold shower or do hand job or something but yes you have to negotiate when you have all your mind it's something i've been saying for years right and i, I just never thought of impairment through horniness <laughs> <laughs> but that makes a lot of sense because this is when people make mistakes this yeah, is when people the the this is when people throw caution to the wind this is when people don't protect themselves Absolutely. with condoms they get excited yeah And one of the other aspects that I find really useful is when negotiating a scene and determining the activities that you want to try, uh, it's important to acknowledge the level of experience that you have in those activities. So, for example, let's say you want to be spanked, uh, but you've never been spanked before. So you don't know how you're going to react to that. Make sure that you inform your partner, I want to try this, but... Who knows what's going to happen? That way, they're going to check in with you throughout the scene, and you might have a bad reaction to that, but you're going to be prepared to catch that, and you'll be able to to react to it and, and hopefully okay. calm things down. Now, you say the word um, negotiating a scene. So for a lot of our listeners, they don't actually know what that is. So could you walk us through what, what you mean by scene? Uh, so a scene, I guess, would just be the, the sexual encounter. Um, normally uh, i mean it's it's similar to having sex with anybody you know you're there's supposed to be a bit of a negotiation you say let's let's do this let's do this um in bdsm usually we have maybe a greater menu of activities to choose from right um so you might say uh we're going to start off with some uh you know some light flogging and then from the flogging we're going to move into some oral play and then from that we're going to do some anal um, okay something like that so you're give you're you're giving out the sequence of events is mm-hmm. is basically what your the scene is yeah the sequence of events activities and then usually with a scene you have you know, what comes before, which is the negotiation, and then what comes afterwards, which is, you know, uh, communicating about how that went and also uh, a bit of aftercare. Okay, um, so that's always part of it. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, the when you role play? Like, a scene is also a role play, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just the sexual activity, but what else goes around that? You, you could define the scene by when it starts. And when it finish and in between is it's the scene. So if let's say you're into domination, uh, when you say to your partner, okay, starting now, I am the dumb, you're the submissive. Okay. It start there, and when it's finished, it's okay. Now we're back to the real life. Ah, so in okay. between is the scene. Okay, that's very simple way mm-hmm. to understand it. Good. Uh, this texture wants to know: Is it a domination control thing for a woman to want to use a strap on with a man? Sometimes, Could sometimes be, right? not. Mm-hmm. It depends on the dynamics between them. It could be a very dominant thing, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. There are some male dominants who just enjoy anal play and will have the submissives do it. You know? Okay. But typically it's a dominant thing. Okay. Anybody want to add anything? 
Well, I think I, I, I think it's all about exploring. I mean, for uh, for you know how many years women have always had to be on the the receiving end of what that felt like, and now they're getting the chance to at least uh, phallically, uh, fakely with rubber, <laughs> do it the other way around. Phallically, uh, fakely, uh, I like know, that. I like, uh, so, I mean, it, there is some sort of power there because it's a finally like the the women are getting more of what it felt like to be the quote-unquote the man in the relationship mm-hmm. but i think in the end it's not really about like domination it's more about exploring and and giving giving a woman more control and also for especially maybe a straight man who hasn't experienced it as a lot for him to actually experience what it's like to actually be pleasured in that spot that is the most pleasurable for men okay Good. Uh, Years ago, I met a couple who, after many years, were on a brink of divorce. After a fight, they both expressed their fantasies about BDSM and since have rediscovered themselves. So what I'm saying is it's important to express your desires. So imagine that, right? So they both suddenly talk about it, both find out, and I guess both might have been afraid Mm -hmm. uh, to to express this part of it. And then it comes out, I guess, when you're at the point where you feel you have nothing to lose. (laughs) We've had lots of people write us that with this that situation, happened. really. Yes, where they they've said, you know, we we how do I explore this? My wife and the, or my, it's usually the the man actually, and then they found out that their wife is really into it, and they've been married, you know, twenty, thirty years, uh, and ten they didn't years, know. and they did not know because it's such a primal thing and it's so private, and they're afraid of rejection, and yes. it is. It is really, to me, it's very sad that people will live that many years with their partner and not really give all of themselves and their all their privateness to the other person. Right. To, all their vulnerabilities. Yeah. yeah, vulnerability. Thank you. And um, it's it's been beautiful. We've, we've had like many, many couples that have There's, written us. We have some beautiful stories about this. And, and yeah. Hmm. Interesting. And you think after 20 years of marriage, you'd have gone through everything else. By that time, you wouldn't like, be like, okay, what are we going to do now? You would like, think. <laughs> but, and, and listen, some couples discover it together later. I've known couples also who say, you know, well, let's spice things up. What should we try? And, oh, maybe we could try you know that or 50 shades is kind of interesting maybe we should like look into <laughs> yeah. that a bit more and then discover that they actually like it and then find out that oh i guess i'm a dominant or oh you know what i like being submissive yeah. it's actually, a beautiful thing actually a few years ago uh, people that would get into kink would be older because before that they had to deal with the kids they had to deal you know with raise uh, paying the house and, mm-hmm. and later on when they have the time they would say oh how about that we do these things now it's changing because the young adult now are getting into kink now very very early, uh, and yeah. and sometimes I feel it's it's a problem. But in the past, this is the way it used to happen. Well, also exposure, right? In the past, we, oh, didn't, well, yeah. we didn't have where to go. Like no. you did not know of no. any. Like this was not talked about. I see, I'm going to sound really old. In my day, <laughs> uh, you know, we just it was. Yeah. But hidden. we still like, found each other somehow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we have the story says. of O and what Marquis de Sade and then Anne yes. Rice's, you know, novels. Yeah, exactly. The series. Well, the Marquis de Sade, please. That yeah, that was series. like uh, yeah. that was a movie. Also, the yeah. uh, the hundred and one days of Sodom or yeah. whatever. Like that's quite scary. If that's what BDSM is, that's scary, right? Yeah. Like for people who ended up seeing that. That's uh... anyway. Coming up, uh, some uh, we have a, an interesting text from somebody who gives us the uh, 
somebody who gives classes in Montreal that I'm going to share with our listeners. So I'll, it's a, I'll share the, in a little bit more greater detail coming up. It is our kink panel tonight. Uh, Pierre and Catherine of BDSM Circle, Dane Stewart and Gary Major in studio with us. If you have any questions, other questions related to sex and relationships, I'll answer them towards the end of the show as well. So feel free to uh, text them in at 514-800. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJAD 800. Our kink panel, once a month we focus on kinky stuff, alternative uh, sexuality and BDSM with uh, a room full of kinksters. In fact, <laughs> right here, Pierre, Catherine, Dane, Gary, all in studio. Uh, so this uh, texturized, great topic. I would suggest if you are interested in bondage, I would say trying a class. There are great instructors like Isabella Hani Camu in the Montreal area. Your panel uh, must know of her, so I don't know if you know her. Uh, she gives great classes from beginners to experts and everything in between. An instructor can introduce you uh, in the actual bondage as well as the intimacy that comes with it, not to mention the safe way to engage in that. And that's from Craig. So Sounds great. Education and workshops are, are great to attend. Right. You I know, once, if yeah. you'll, you'll pick up little things, even experienced players. Um, you know, you'll go and you'll just see a tip or, oh, that's a better knot or uh, a better tie. And uh, workshops are great. And they exist. That's the Certainly. that's the uh, reality. There's actually a good book. Um, I went to a conference once, a sex conference, like with professionals. But there was uh, a guy giving a class uh, called Bondage 101 for us sex therapists, right? It was Jay Wiseman, exactly. And he wrote a book called uh, Bondage 101, I think it was, um, Jay Wiseman. So if you want that book, that also has a lot of uh, good information and pictures and, and things like that. Explained it really uh, really, really well. Uh, how common is a foot fetish? How would I tell my partner about it? And why do I find women's feet such a turn on? Great question. The why is hard to tell as to the why for any fetish, in fact. Mm -hmm. We just know somewhere, somehow, a pairing gets made. Uh, in usually in adolescence. So could be in your earlier years that um, somehow... I don't, I remember one story of a foot fetishist telling me that as a kid, his parents used to have a lot of parties and they, everybody would take off their shoes when they would come into the house and he would be crawling around and he, he had access to all kinds of feet. So he was looking at pretty feet and feet with nail polish and, and whatever. And somehow this turned into a turn on eventually. So that's about as, as close to an, a, like a, a reason or a, a connection he could make, but it's really hard to know what it is. But in our day now, feet are almost considered a, a sexual part of the body for so many people. It's the most common fetish. Mm -hmm. So Right up there with breasts. <laughs> up there with breasts, exactly. So how would I tell my partner about it? Why don't you start off by suggesting a foot massage? After a go. long day. <laughs> That's what I would do. Just start with it and give her a nice foot massage and go from there. And Absolutely. and then be able to say, I love your feet, honey. They're and, beautiful. Uh, you know, your feet are beautiful. And, and you know. It yeah. also, it also had, uh, that like is a perfect example of that because then she gets to see the benefits that she's going to get. From, um, yeah, that's right. Other than Spanish. I love that. That's but, great. But Catherine is cheating because she had subs that had foot fetish. So. 
Okay. Uh, so you got good foot massages is what oh, you're saying. Yes. All right. Well, that but that's a good question. And it, it really is such a common one. And one that's probably the easiest thing, the easiest fetish to integrate into a relationship. Mm-hmm. Because the person doesn't have to bring anything new. Mm-hmm. It's just... There's my feet. You well, want to see my feet and shoes? shoes? Yeah, well, sometimes or sometimes not. Like I know a lot of foot yeah. fetishes that I can't wait for summer because they love to sit on a terrace and watch women's feet go by, right. you know, it's in, an, it's, in it's sandals. It's also another way to, to appreciate your partner. Like you're telling your partner, like, you have a beautiful face. I love your body. Everything about you is great, even your feet. And most right. like most people, like their feet is their last thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. So for, to you to look at your partner and sell them everything about you, even your feet are the most beautiful things to me. I mean, that's like an appreciation beyond. So. Well that's, said. That's uh, very well said. Another uh, text uh, around fetishes. Recently, my girlfriend shows interest in wearing thongs and stuff like that. Does this mean she is into kink? Maybe just sexy lingerie. Or maybe yeah. for her, it's kinky. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, let's remember that there is... What may be kinky for me may not be kinky for a person who's already Absolutely. kinky, right? Sure. Or into so uh, maybe garters would be super kinky to somebody and mean absolutely nothing to Catherine. Whereas leather would be or latex would be more kinky wear. Whereas for someone who hasn't even worn a thong underwear before, would Just think that's high extreme. To bed is a big deal for some people. Yeah, exactly. So there's that. (laughs) Think of the sheets. Don't mess up those sheets. Another text writes, back in the day, I used to go to the Hellfire Club in New York City, and there you could see live scenes of all descriptions, which was well attended by couples and local stars like Annie Sprinkle. So Mm -hmm. Annie Sprinkle is a big name also in... uh, absolutely. Uh, in in pornography, but also she became Annie Sprinkle. I think became a like a sexologist yeah. after all of this, right? Yeah. So, Good for her. Uh, yeah, she and she's done a lot of um, educational stuff. Oh yeah, she's an amazing advocate. Yeah, yeah, really great. Uh, so great questions, everybody. So please, thank you all for uh, answering these king questions. So uh, thank you for being on the show, and we'll see you again in uh, oh my god, in June, Whoa. in June. <laughs> Uh, all right, let me, uh, so thank you. I'm going to answer a couple of uh, questions that came in here. So first of all, uh, earlier with John Paul, we were talking about, um, uh, having sex at home when you're, when your kids are at home, but busy doing something else. So Karen writes, I was brought up by Dr. Spock students. My parents let me walk in the bedroom door on them one time when I was about seven, they were under the covers and I didn't see any nakedness. It was staged. So I would learn this is what couples do and that daddy and mommy were a couple. It was an okay event. I would recommend this to young parents. So that's interesting. Another question is, are uh, single women allowed in single swingers clubs? Yes, sing all single women are allowed in swingers clubs, but not single men. <laughs> There's the thing, okay? Uh, so single women allowed, single men get have to be vetted or something. Like you have to be a member to get in. So yeah, they have to actually check and and I don't know what questions they ask you, but imagine if uh, that you just let every single guy in there. It would be like uh, a, a, a free uh, sex buffet kind of thing, right? To go in there and that, that's not going to work because that's not what those clubs are all about. 
Uh, another texter writes, uh, could you do a show, Dr. Lori, on sex addicts and porn addiction and invite actual ex-porn addicted people on your show? That would be a great idea. I mean, we do we talk about porn and sex uh, and uh, sexual compulsion and addiction every month, but trying to get on somebody who wants to talk about it may be a little more uh, difficult. I think we've had in the past, we've had people on here, but uh, but I'll, I'll work on it and see if we can find, unless you know somebody uh, who's available, that would be uh, that would be good. Another question I got in, uh, how do you call someone who doesn't mind having sex, and they write in brackets, asexual, but in a relationship uh, doesn't like affection? So you don't like affection, but you don't mind having sex. I wonder, well, everybody has a different... Um, I don't want to say tolerance for or or enjoys touch in a relationship. So, and I don't know what the issue is that you don't like the affection. It could be that you grew up without affection. It could be that it makes you uncomfortable. It could be that you just need your body space. It could mean that you don't like you don't like to be touched. Like it does something to you in your uh, sensitivity, for example. Um, so there could be something going on there. So it's hard to know. But when you say doesn't mind having sex is asexual, um, I'm not sure what that means. You not enjoy it. You, it's, it's okay, but if you had your choice, you wouldn't. So are you asexual, not asexual? Because there are also different degrees of asexuality. There's also something called an aromantic, uh, so where uh, you don't you don't even want to be in a, uh, in a relationship. So there's, there's that part also. So, or some people are asexual, but they like the affection part. They like the touch. They enjoy all of that. They just don't like, uh, all the other stuff. So that's a possibility as well. Um, how do I increase my libido is another question. That's a huge question and probably one for, another night because that's just, uh, I could do an entire show on, on libido, but Hey, exploring, spicing up your relationship. Like we've been talking about kink. We've been talking about alternative sexuality, BDSM. A lot of couples enter into it after many, many years of just being vanilla or just because they want to increase their sexual desire because they're looking for something to spice something up. So, uh, looking for ways to spice up your sex life is also uh, a great adventure to go on uh, together. And there's many, many things to explore from sex toys to kinky stuff to BDSM to all of that stuff. Remember, you can send in your questions anytime to Lori at drlori.com. Thank you all so much for tuning in uh, to us tonight. Thanks to our technical producer, Dave Simon. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. Thank you.